Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Please feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, borrow it. Uh, if you need to borrow it, if you need a Bible that you can read and understand because you don't have one, uh, feel free to take that with you. It is our gift to you. We'll be happy to buy more Bibles. That's not a problem. Uh, if you have one of those Bibles in particular, we're on page 914. 914. Uh, let me just set this up for just a second. Uh, the book of Acts is a story of the early church where um, Jesus um, goes into heaven in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he sends the Spirit uh, where in the day of Pentecost. And the people, uh, the, the, the disciples who follow him, they bear witness to Jesus being crucified and then rising again from the dead. And there's such power uh, that, that goes forth from them that 3,000 people come to know him uh, in, that, in that single day. The church is founded. All sorts of incredible stuff happens immediately following. There's persecution uh, and, and uh, Peter and um, James and John seem to take the brunt of this. That's just kind of how it works. Uh, we get to um, chapter 5 where they're beginning to sort some things out and hit some rhythm. And then here we are in chapter 6. This is where we are. Verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or those who were from the Greek tradition... Uh, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, uh, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, they set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so today, I want to talk about serving and servants. Let me just say this from the, from the get-go. How many of you have been in a setting where you are, uh, um, you're definitely on the outside looking in in some manner? Maybe it's at uh, some family dinner or um, some other social gathering where everybody else kind of knows one another, and they've got some inside jokes and some inside stories, and they've got some history together, and you're there as the new guy or the new girl, and you laugh politely, but you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. Anybody with me on that? Ever had that happen? <clears throat> if you're a guest today, it may feel just a little bit like that. Uh, here's why. Because um, our church, and we'll talk more about some of the details in just a moment, uh, but our church, um, uh, we're going to nominate some new deacons here in about a month. And this particular sermon is the setup um, for that. And so um, what, you're, what you're encountering, if, if you're a guest with us, what you're encountering is kind of a family moment, but we don't want to exclude you. We want to make it just as plain as we possibly can about what is and is not going on. Um, we don't want to exclude you, but if it sounds a little bit like you're on the outside looking in, that's probably why. So I just want to acknowledge that from the front. Um, and then uh, secondly on that, uh, there'll be some things to kind of carry out down the road and, and feel free to, uh, you know, just kind of track along with us. Certainly if you have any questions about any of this, you can feel free to find me afterwards or sometime this week, okay? So let's start with this passage, and I want to break this up in just, just some phrases to help us think about how, we, how it, this thing um, kind of goes along here. The first 
first, and first phrase I want you to think about is the phrase, a great need. That's where we see in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint uh, by the Hellenists or the Greeks, again, uh, uh, these are Jewish folks who had lived abroad, um, the, the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, those who were still in Jerusalem, uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There were two issues that arose here in this great need. Um, the first issue was this sense of church disunity. There was a, uh, something not happening for unity in the church. There was disunity in the church, and there was ministry that was getting missed. So you had these two things. Disunity in the church and, and misministry. You see this complaint rising from the one group against the other. That's the that's the disunity part. Uh, but but really, and this is true in most uh, church cases. Any any sense of a lack of unity in the church um, isn't typically the problem itself. It's just an expression of the problem. The problem itself was there was ministry being missed. Um, those who were uh, uh, of um, uh, kind of Jewish Middle Eastern descent, um, they, they were kind of getting what, what, they, what they needed. And those who were from the outside, uh, the, from outside of Jerusalem, outside the Middle East, uh, the Hellenists, these Greek folks, uh, they weren't necessarily getting what they thought that they needed, okay? And so it's missed ministry. That was the big thing that was happening there. And that is what caused uh, the disunity. And you can think about this, multiple, some of you have been around church long enough to know, oh yeah, when, when unity begins to fracture a little bit, you can, you can say, oh, we're not unified, but really there's an underlying cause. And it's the underlying cause that, that has to be addressed before the unity stuff happens. Otherwise, it's just a veneer. And what's going to happen eventually again anyway? It'll crack right? Because it's just a facade. Um, so missing ministry, that was the problem. It expressed itself in this disunity. Here's the thing, though. This, this grew up, this issue grew up from an actually really, really good problem. And that is the church was doing what? It was growing. Look at verse 1 again. Now, in these days when the disciples were what? Increasing. These challenges arose because the church was actually growing. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It's, this church growth issue creates its own set of problems. Uh, they didn't have parking problems. They didn't have, uh, you know, building problems. They didn't have, you know, the foundations messed up problems. They didn't have that kind of stuff. Uh, but they did have uh, these issues where ministry was getting missed because uh, uh, this, growth, this growth thing was happening. Um, for us as a church, and this is the part where it starts feeling like family conversation, for us as a church, let me say this. Uh, to my knowledge, we're not struggling with any sort of unity issue. I think we're still very much kind of on track together. I will say that we are missing some ministry opportunities. Uh, we're missing some ministry opportunities. And all of it arises from church growth. As I said earlier in the announcement time, uh, one of the great things that God has done with us going to dual services is uh, it has allowed us to reach more folks. Uh, one of the great challenges is what? We don't see one another as often as we used to and aren't connected sometimes. Don't have that same sense of family feel as we always do. That's a challenge of church growth. One of the other ministry uh, misses that we're having is just making sure that people are genuinely um, connected and, and, and taken care of in the middle of this. I will tell you that one of the great uh, things that keeps us as a staff awake at night. Um, and one of the reasons why we emphasize uh, being connected and being in a small group or Sunday school class um, uh, so much is because we don't want you sitting in a row, going through the things that your life is, you know, throws at you and nobody else know about it. See, that's a ministry miss right there. Our, our, our fear is that you would be going through something there and nobody in the church would know about it. Why is that a ministry miss? Because that's not really church, folks. I mean, 
that what makes it different from anybody at your office or any other other environment in which you keep that from people. See that church is about family. Church is about bearing burdens with one another. Church is about engaging with one another. Church is about saying, "Hey, you're not alone in this, whatever this is, whatever it may be." So uh, their challenges arose because the church is growing. Our challenges are arising because the church is growing. I'll just give you uh, a hint here as the thing. Um, 2015. Um, we saw a 7% growth. 2016, we saw a 12.5% growth. To date, in 2017, we've seen um, another 7%, 7 and point something or other percent growth. Over the course of the past three years, we've grown almost 30%. Isn't that awesome? You know what that presents, though? A certain amount of challenges, a certain amount of, uh, of, of um, organizational challenges, yes, but also a certain amount of relational challenges, and that's, that's kind of where we are, which is why uh, we're coming to say, hey, and we also need, uh, we need some more deacons. We need some more folks uh, to help us get this ministry thing happening. So uh, because we're people of the Bible, because we take the Bible seriously, and because we believe God has revealed himself, we're going to take our cues from the Bible. And so we had a great need, like they had a great need, and now there's this incredible solution, great solution. Verse two, you ready? And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer, to, excuse me, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's the solution. The great solution was you appoint people to serve. Um, when you hear the word serve, the Greek word that underlays that uh, is D-I-A-K-O-N-S, diakonos. You know what that means, where we get our Greek word, I mean, our English word deacon from? From that, service, okay, from service. So um, the reason the sermon is called serving and servants is because this is what they do. Here's the thing about deacons. It's not, and, and Peter says this here, uh, it's not that um, we find some guys to go serve. No, no, no. We find the folks who are already serving, and then we say, hey, we want you to serve in these specific ways. The solution was to appoint people to serve. And so why was this such a great solution? Let me give you these four reasons. Number one, it kept roles clear. It kept our roles clear. So the apostles, um, and they said, hey, listen, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. Hear me say this. Are the apostles below serving tables? Absolutely not. He just says, hey, listen, there are times when we have to make a choice between A and B. We have to say yes to something and no to something else. And so if, it's, if, it's, if it comes down to it, we're going to say yes to preaching and ministry of the word and no to serving tables if we have to make that choice. And then down in verse 4, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So these roles are clear. These roles are clear. Those who serve um, and meet some practical needs, they serve as deacons. Uh, those who preach and teach and do these other things. It's not that any of us are below uh, serving, cleaning toilets, or whatever needs to get done around here. It's just that if we have to make a choice, we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. Secondly, it, um, it involved people in ministry. It involved people in ministry. Uh, verse 3, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit, wisdom, we, whom we will appoint. Here we go, to this duty. He, he's giving them something to do. It involves these people in ministry. In terms of our specific church family, deacons, as, as a part of our church family, here's some of the things that they do. Now, it's not all, but some of the things that they do. 
Uh, they help with facility stuff around here. They lock and unlock doors on Sunday morning. Uh, they they uh, make sure that you know things are kind of running smooth facility-wise. That's one of their uh, one of their duties. Um, they pray. They pray for us as a church and support us in that way. That's one of their big duties. Probably the biggest duty that they uh, that they participate in, and, and one of the ways that they help us in ministry is they kind of extend our pastoral ministry. How do they do that? Um, each family um, that is in our church is. Um, assigned a deacon. And that deacon is supposed to uh, check in on them every so often. Hey, how's it going? They Sometimes they do it on Sunday morning. Sometimes they do it with a phone call or an email, however best. But they just check in. Hey, how's it going? How's it, are things okay? Is there anything we need to know? Anything we can pray for? That kind of thing. They extend pastoral ministry. Here's, here's the win on that. Um, let's say one of you, God forbid, has to go to the hospital or has something go down in your life, um, and, and uh, you contact your small group leader or your Sunday school teacher or your friend who's in your group or whatever. They let your deacon know, and if they beat us as a staff to the church, we consider that a win. You know why? Because they're multiplying the ministry. That's a good thing. So it keeps roles clear, and it involves people in ministry. Thirdly, the third reason this is a great solution is it demanded character for leadership. Look at verse um, 3 again. Pick out among you seven men, here we go, of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Anytime the Bible talks about leadership, folks, it demands character in that leadership. Not being a character. No, no, no. That's, it demands character character, the kind of infrastructure of soul that will carry the weight of the calling that God has placed upon him or her. So in deacons in particular, can we turn to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 3? Uh, again, if you're a Bible app user, this should pop up as kind of the next little bit in your, um, uh, in your, in, on the live event here. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 is where we're going to start. Chapter 3, verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Let's just pause here for just a second. Dignified, those who um, have about them some sense of, of, uh, of God's yes over their life. Um, do, not double-tongued. They don't say one thing and then do another, or say one thing in one situation and say uh, something different uh, elsewhere. Uh, not addicted to much wine. In other words, they are in control, not some other substance. Uh, not greedy for dishonest gain. They don't love money more than they love Jesus. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they're saying, okay, God, I don't, I don't necessarily have to understand it all, but what I do understand is this, and I'm holding that I'm in, and holding on to that. Verse 10, and let them be, also be tested first and let them serve as deacons in the particular office of deacon uh, if they prove themselves blameless. And we'll go through a training process as, as um, these deacons are nominated and appointed. Uh, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. This probably more than any other verse in that passage is the controversial one. Let me just be clear about one thing. It, it says, quite literally in the Greek, let a deacon be the, a one-woman man. That's what it says. Now, if you've got a country song just rising up in you right now, you want to start tapping your foot a little bit with a little twang? That's fine, because it's a good 
It's a good, a one-woman man. Um, and, and what that means is he's faithful um, in his marriage. It doesn't say, please hear me say, it doesn't say uh, that, uh, uh, you know, divorce, all of that comes on a case-by-case basis, really. It really does. And so uh, we have to understand that what he's talking, what what Paul is telling Timothy to measure is their faithfulness right now, managing their children in their own household well. For those who serve well, verse 13, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith in Jesus. So um, it demands character for leadership. And may it ever be so um, that our character uh, is never outpaced by the calling that God puts on our lives. And then lastly, it gave them a specific role to play. Again, back in the book of Acts, we will appoint them to this duty, to this table-serving, take-care-of-the-widows kind of duty. So this specific role, that's an important thing, um, this duty. So that's why it's a great solution. There was this great need that arose from church growth, and the great solution was this. And then something amazing happened in verse 6. Are they appointing these people? Verse 6, these they set before the apostles. And they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. They prayed, and they laid their hands on them. What I would term just picking up on this this great need, great solution. Then they had this moment of this great commissioning. Why do I say that? Because the laying on of hands and the offering of prayer is the Christian sign of commissioning. Like Whenever the Bible talks about this, uh, about commissioning somebody for something, guess what? They, They lay their hands on them, and they pray. That's what they do. And when it comes time for us to uh, uh, ordain these deacons and stuff, you know what the church will gather to do? To lay hands on them and to pray. When we send out uh, mission teams here, we'll do it in a couple of weeks, um, uh, send a, a group to Bolivia uh, to minister um, to the orphans there. You, we're going to bring them up front. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to lay hands on them and we're going to pray. Why? Because that is the sign of, that is the Christian sign of commissioning. And over and over and over and over, I mean, we can just talk about this in multiple ways. We're going to lay hands on them and we're going to pray. It's the way that that happens. Why? Why is that though? Why is that? I don't have time for this sermon, but let me just, like, there's something important about touch. And, and so the Bible talks about greet one another with a holy kiss, which is every teenager's favorite verse, you know, but... There's something important about physical touch. And we in the Western culture, and particularly in our kind of melee of cultural chaos right now, we don't get that. You, gotta, you go to other cultures, people are perfectly fine and, and, and don't stigmatize um, appropriate touch. And that's, that's something we need to kind of reclaim. I don't have time for all that right now. Here's, here's what I would say. When you commission someone, when you lay hands on them and you offer a prayer for them, um, there are some things that happen. There are some things that it affirms in them. Number one, you say to them, hey, the hand of God is with you. I'm putting my hands on you. I'm not God. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is we're representing that the hand of God is with you. In the Old Testament in particular, Nehemiah and Ezra. The the refrain goes something like this, and the good hand of my God was upon me for this task. What we're saying is, what we're representing is that the hand of God is upon you for this task. Um, Another thing that it says is, we believe in what God is doing in your life. In other words, it's saying, hey, we're adding our yes to God's yes on your life. As we're laying hands on you and praying we're standing in agreement with what God is saying. And then lastly, it says, hey, pal, um, you know, you're not alone in this. God is with you. We're, we're saying yes along with God. 
and you're not alone in this. We're joining with you to say, you're in this, and we're in this with you. We're not going to just kind of kick you out, but we're in this with you. That's an important thing to know. When, uh, when you lay hands on someone, offer prayer for them as the Christian sign of commissioning, that's kind of what you're saying. And the last thing is, it's a tremendous, it's a great result. So we had a great need. The church growth was um, causing these uh, particular uh, challenges. Solution was the appointment of these people. Um, the the um, This commissioning was to lay hands on them and to pray. And then look at verse 7. I will tell you that this is one of the surprising verses for me because I would have anticipated uh, that verse 7 would end, this particular story would end something like this. And all the widows got cared for. Because what was the problem? The widows weren't getting cared for, right? And so when it comes along, oh, at the end of the story, you would expect what? The widows are cared for. That's not what verse 7 says. I do think the widows got cared for. Let me just say that. But look at what it says, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to them. What was the great result? First of all, the church was deepened. Uh, It resulted in this deepening of the church. There was greater pastoral care. Uh, There was mentoring as needed. I mean, these are the roles that these people played. They made sure that everything uh, was working like it was supposed to. They added, if you will, organizational um, help and structure and service um, to to this issue so that it didn't get outpaced. The deepening of the church, people, uh, the, the church, it says, grew. The word of God continued to increase. But not just that. And the number of disciples did what? Multiplied greatly. Not a little bit. They multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So not only a deepening of the church, there was also an expansion of evangelism. So people were um, going out to to, uh, uh, share the good news of Jesus, that he had uh, died for their sins and he had rose again on their behalf. So you have a deepening of the church and you have an expanded evangelism. Why is that? Because a place, here's here's one of the reasons why uh, evangelism expanded. If, If you have a place, listen carefully now, if you have a place where people are cared for genuinely, and, and needs are being met and people are embraced for who they are and, and change is happening in their lives. You know what that is? That is magnetic to a culture that desperately wants something genuine and authentic and real. That's one of the reasons why um, a, a properly functioning church is its own kind of beacon, is its own light to a very dark world is because no, nowhere do they see it else. They, they don't see it anywhere else. No, they don't get it anywhere else. So a church that's, that's functioning properly um, will have this, uh, this kind of uh, expansion of evangelism, a place where people are cared for, as I said, is magnetic. Secondly, because not only the place is, is it kind of healthy, but the people are healthy, um, because the people are healthy, what do they do? They go out and do the things that Jesus did, including sharing the gospel. And so the word of God increased, and the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and even a few priests came on board on this deal. Um, the, the, the expansion of evangelism happened because people were healthy spiritually. And spiritual, spiritually healthy people, that's one of the things they do. They go out and tell other people about who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's the great result. Again, I do think the widows got cared for, but it was way bigger than that. It was way bigger than that. So what's your part? Can we back up to verse 5? If you were watching closely, you saw that I skipped it, but don't... don't and, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith 
and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus, and Proselyte of Antioch. They chose. They nominated, if you will, um, these folks. And that's kind of the role uh, that our church family is going to play. Uh, Let me just say a couple of things to those of you who uh, may get dominated, okay? Uh, Number one, if you read the rest of chapter 6 and on through chapter 7, you see that Stephen, a man full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit, takes off in ministry, and he really ticks some people off, and he ends up being stoned to death. So welcome to the deacon, um, to, you know, to being a deacon. He was the first Christian martyr. The, the other thing, though, Philip, we see him in chapter 8. We get a, a couple of stories on him. But Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, all these other folks, they basically served in obscurity. You got a martyr or two, and then some folks who were just toiling in obscurity, working, serving the church, because their reward is in heaven, not here on the earth. So I, I say that to say you need to think long and hard uh, about this. Here's, here's your part in the deacon um, nomination part. First of all, you need to take time to pray. I mean, to genuinely seek the Lord, and we're going to do this in just a moment here as a church family, um, but take time to pray. Pray first. The second part uh, is that you would take time to look around. You would watch what other people are doing, and you would see, you would look for the men who are serving in our church already. Who's, who's leading a small group? Who's teaching Sunday school? Who's putting stuff up when nobody else is doing it? Who, who comes by to you know, do this, that, or move this, or that, or help in some way? Watch for those who are already serving. Uh, and then lastly, um, and this is a sample ballot here in your bulletin if you already have one of these. On the 25th of June, we as a church family will come together and nominate. You can nominate up to 10 people, uh, uh, say 10 men who say, hey, listen, we're going to, uh, we, we believe God is going to call us to these people. Some of you are like, I'm not even sure who all the deacons are. Good news. There's a list at the bottom. Okay. Right there. Uh, uh, but you can uh, nominate uh, these other folks. So the reason we pray first is because we want a real sensitivity. The reason we get, are giving you about a month, a little over a month to watch is because we want you to genuinely see who's doing it. Not just who's doing it once, but who's doing it over and over and over again. And then you, our church family is just at the point where you're not necessarily sure what their name is. So what do you get to do? Hey, what's that guy's name over there? That's what you get to do, okay? And you can do that. And then uh, write in your nomination on the 25th. If you're not going to be here the 25th, these will be available uh, the week before. You can come by and fill one out and put it in there. It's kind of our absentee version of that. Uh, Obviously, as a church family, listen to me. Please hear my heart on this. This is not a popularity contest. Uh, This is, I mean, this is not that. Uh, We're looking for men to serve. That's what we're looking for. Uh, those who would go out as a martyr or toil in obscurity. Like those are the men that we want, uh, those are the men that we want to serve. And um, uh, so if, to that end, just, just take this so seriously. And, you know, one person, one vote, please, you know, honor that as well. You don't get to like run your, you know, put your ballot down on a copier and run it off or anything. That's not what we're after, okay? Uh, that, that's, that's what we're doing. Here's why. Here's why we're praying for those things. Because... Uh, Jesus himself, he said, I, Mark 10, 45, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And what, what we're looking for is men who will join in that cause right there, who will give their life for the sake of the cause of Jesus. 
That's what we're looking at. So as a church family, we're going to take a minute. We're going to pray. And here's how I want to do this. Uh, uh, Frank is going to come back up and I think um, just play some music underneath it. And we're going to take a minute and we're going to pray for this process. Uh, And then um, we'll have a moment here. And then as a church family, because we believe in the power of prayer, uh, if you've come this morning and you need something specific to pray for you, we're going to pray for us as a church, church-wide, but then we're going to pray specifically for you as an individual, as people within our church. So uh, when we get done praying for this process, um, I'll just ask if you where you are, if you want to stand, if you have any particular uh, need uh, that we can pray for, we'll ask you to stand and then we'll pray, uh, pray for you. Okay, so let's take a minute. Um, just settle your hearts. If you need to put some stuff away, please do that. We'll take just a moment here. Uh, and then we'll begin this time of prayer.